Welcome into another edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. Lots for your consumption this week, including a chili cook-off, help for newcomers to Canada and to the Barry area in making their business dreams come true. We get a preview of the Barry Film Festival's Real Stories program and Environment Canada's prediction for spring. It may be time for the groundhog to retire. And we have more, but first... With the population of Innisfil expected to double in the next 30 years, town council wants to make sure there's room for them without upsetting the rural landscape too much, so the plan is to build an orbit, an all-inclusive community with a proposed GO station at its core. Barry 360's Ian McLennan sat down with Innisfil's Director of Planning and Growth, Andrea Lee, to get the lay of the land. The orbit, in a nutshell, there's lots to talk about, but if you can compress it, if someone came up to you and said, what's this orbit project I hear about in the town of Innisfil, what is it? So essentially it's a transit-oriented community, and what that focuses on is a a proposed GO station that'll be located in Alcona, and then around that GO station there'll be a higher density housing and public spaces, really focusing on a complete community that doesn't currently exist in that area. Some people have said it seems to be overwhelming or too much. Some have said it's not enough. At first blush, when I looked at it, I thought, well, it looks very Jetsons-like, but very compressed, compact, without that sprawl that we've seen in places like in the GTA, for example. Is that is that what you're trying to achieve? That's exactly it. Really, we're trying to um, intensify and have a higher density in a specific community. And that'll allow some of our other outside areas to remain more agricultural, more rural. And that and that was really the focus of council when they made this decision a number of years ago is knowing that Innisfil is going to continue to grow and in fact double our population in the next 30 years making sure that we still have what people value in that area, those those rural spaces or those walkable areas. So compact, compressed, and build up. Like obviously, the Ontario government wants that build up. Uh, they don't want that sprawl. That's the mandate from the province anyway. That's correct. So um, this is a much more compact area. It's about an 800-acre site. Um, and within that, you're going to see, you know, over the, the life cycle, so about 50 years, you're seeing almost 100,000 population. So that's a large population in a much smaller area and and discourages that urban sprawl taking up all of the agricultural land. Is it critical to for the town to emphasize maybe the point that um, this isn't an overnight project that, um, let's be frank, I'm not going to be around when this final design is done and it's all built up. What is the timeline and why is it spread out so much? Yeah, so it is a very long-term project. And so we're going through what's called a secondary plan process right now. And and that's laying out the vision, the policies, so that as this project develops over that, you know, 50, 60-year timeline, we know what the plan will look like at the full, what we call full build-out of it. Um, But it is the first phase really is the next 30 years to 2051. And that's the area that's very much focused right around the proposed GO station. And what is the um, what sort of development will be, uh, you know, on that on that property? What is, is there something uh, unique about it that we don't have already in in the town of Innisfil? It is going to be phased. So that what we call the transit oriented community one and two, which are sort of the areas right around the proposed GO station are going to be a much higher density. So you are going to see, you know, upwards of 20 or more story high rise condominium type buildings. So that's not something you currently see in Innisfil or any of the surrounding areas. It is a little bit more like what you see in some of the Barrie area. 
But as you sort of spread beyond that area around the the, um, GO station, then you're going to see sort of a medium density. So not single detached dwellings, townhouses, you know, low rise, four four story type. So you are going to see a a mix of housing, but definitely at a higher density than we currently see. Working with planners and the developers, is there anything that the town is uh, looking at saying, oh, they've done it this way and maybe in Europe or elsewhere in North America? Are you are there examples that you can uh, you know grab from? I mean, there are obviously a number of ghost stations and a number of what they call these transit oriented communities. They exist throughout the GTA. There are some models within in the GTA, but really we recognize Innisfil is not the GTA. We don't want to be the GTA. So it's finding that balance between those more urbanized centers, you know, Vaughan, Markham, um, Parklawn's one example of one of these transit-oriented communities, taking some of the features there, but but bringing in a little bit more of that um, rural feel to this area. So ensuring that as it develops, it has a lot more... You know, it's walkable. It's got green spaces. Yeah, there's been a lot of focus on, you know, you'll have a vehicle, maybe hopefully only one, but where you get to go, where you need to go, you could walk it or bike it or wherever. Right. And that's uh, be having that um, more concentrated density allows you to be in close proximity to the go station or the grocery store or the convenience store. The intent longer term is to have all of that within the community. And that's why it's called a complete community so that you can walk to the park, you can walk to the go station and ideally not have to use your vehicle. There'll be bike trails. So all of that would be factored into that full build out. The public have made suggestions or some like it, but want some tweaks. And is that, will that be something that will happen? Where's the final rubber stamp? When do you get to that point where, okay, we know what we want. You've made your points and here we go. Right. And that was the purpose of last week's public meeting is um, it's been a long journey over the past year to get public input. We got a lot of really good input last week. Um, We're still continuing to receive comments. So um, the staff and the consulting team are reviewing all of that information. And we're looking to bring that back to council later this spring, likely May, but it could be later than that, with updates based on what we heard um, and uh, a staff report that'll explain the comments we heard and how we've been able to address them or not address them. And what does final approval look like or when when will it come to that sort of uh, you know stage? Council does make a decision and, and this is in planning terms, this is an official plan change that happens through this secondary plan. Um, at this stage, the County of Simcoe is still the approval authority for that decision. Uh, so when council makes a decision, it goes to the county, and that's typically a three to six month process after the town decision. So the final decision on this likely wouldn't be in place until closer to the end of the year. And a shovel in the ground for even first phase? And that's, you know, certainly there's a lot of questions about that. Um, the first phase will include the proposed GO station, um, but what we've sort of indicated, we don't have um, decisions from Metrolinks or the developer on those timelines. They are market-based, obviously, but we're hoping within a couple of years that those shovels are in the ground. You will see, um, you know, earthworks, some pre-servicing. There's a lot of work to be done. So there will start to be construction, but shovels in the ground for the, the actual condominiums and the GO station, probably a couple of years. If you're looking for more on The Orbit, the town of Innisfil has things laid out nicely on its website, innisfil.ca.
Tough enough coming to a new country, getting established, and carving out a new way of life. Tougher still if you're trying to set up shop, establish a business. Georgian College offering some help next week through its Henry Burnick Entrepreneurship Center, its second Accelerate Now program. Cecilia Doucette is the coordinator. Cecilia, how did this come about? We had this dream a couple of years ago. We noticed that there was gaps in in the business ecosystem for uh, immigrants and newcomers and them accessing the resources available in the community already when you are trying to run a business or start a business in a, in a country that is not your home. So we saw those needs, we saw those gaps and um, with the partnership and collaboration and support of community members like the County of Cinco, we applied to an in-market application and we got the funding to start this series of events and, and program and that's been absolutely amazing having the support of our, our partners and, and community leaders. Accelerating Now basically is helping and is focusing on um, helping newcomers, international students, immigrants and refugees, entrepreneurs who want to start, grow or scale a business in Canada. You have newcomers unfamiliar with the city, unfamiliar with the, the laws and, and, and whatnot, so they, they need that extra leg up, don't they? Absolutely. And when you start a business, it's, it's tricky. It's hard. It's, it's, it's not impossible, but it, it can be difficult. And having to do that abroad in a language that is not your language and not knowing anybody, you know, like you're trying to start a home away from home. So having to do that and start a business, it's, it can be difficult. So having the community right there, the resources right there for you, that's what you need. You need those connections. You need that networking. You need that support. And that's what we're trying to achieve. And, and great, too, that you're, you're in an environment with other like-minded people, people who are trying to achieve the same thing you are. You can bounce ideas off of each other. You can be there to support each other as you're moving forward. Absolutely. This, you know, part of our dream, it's helping newcomers with their businesses, but at the same time, strengthening those partnerships that we already have in the business ecosystem with all the amazing partners that are out there. So it's not just, you know, we want to focus on one organization and doing one thing. I think we can all come together and we're already doing it. We're just focusing on a new members of the community. So having those partnerships is, is really important. All right. So if I sign up for, for the program and I show up, what am I going to uh, be treated to while I'm there? Really, really good attention and service and <laughs> all of our support. Uh, you you will enroll in the Henry Burnick Entrepreneurship Center. That's because it's that's where I, I'm working. Uh, that will be like your first step. Uh, you will have to fill an intake form to be part of the uh, HBEC, and then we will help you through from there. It's just newcomers have different needs. So now with this position, with having this new program, we can address those needs in the resources that are already there. And you have some panelists who are coming in with some, some expert advice? For this event, yes, absolutely. We have three panelists with uh, one expert, and uh, the expert is John Bailey. She is the owner of Ovation Speakers. 
she's just absolutely uh, amazing in terms of how to present yourself, how to talk to people, how to how to sell yourself, how to be confident, because that's where everything starts, especially if you're doing it, like I mentioned, in another language, like having that confidence and selling your product or service. It's really hard. That's probably the key, isn't it? Gaining the confidence so that you can move forward with everything else that you learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. So she's an amazing uh, expert that we're going to have part of the panel. And then is uh, Miguel Abascal. He is the owner of Unstoppable Me Rocks. And this is the company that mentors newcomers and how to find the job in their new community. And he's doing amazing work with immigrants as well. So he's going to be talking about his story. Uh, Rosa Diaz, she's the owner of Robap to Canada. Uh, it's an immigration consultant. And she's been having her business for quite a while now, but she's going to be sharing her story about how she started in another country, you know, and how she's been so successful now. And we also have uh, Paulo Cardoso. He's from Brazil. And he is the chief uh, partnership officer from uh, JKR a public agency in Brazil. And now they have an office in Canada. So it's it, inspiring stories is immigrants that, you know, they would, they were in the, their shoes, you know, that's in these shoes, my shoes, because I'm also an immigrant as well, uh, one day and they succeeded. They had bumps, they overcome those bumps and they are keep fighting, keep fighting for that dream, yeah. you know. And that's uh, that's an important thing to, to remember, too. This is not going to be a smooth road all the way through. There exactly. are going to be bumps, and these are people who can help you get over those bumps easier. Absolutely. Just that one opportunity that somebody gives you your hand, opens that door, helps you with that first step is what we need. And that's what we're aiming with the program. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for coming in and giving us some insight and uh, all the parameters that people need to know to, to get this started. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Again, Accelerate Now happens March 30th at Sandbox Center downtown. You can register online through Eventbrite or on Facebook and Instagram at Accelerate Now. It's a two-hour program with a social hour afterward to continue your networking. Barry Colts trot to the playoffs continues. Jockeying for playoff position, Barry 360's Will Conkin and Colts broadcaster Gene Pereira ponder what the starting gate is going to look like and marvel at that trusty steed they have on the blue line. Gene, overall another great week for the Colts. Had a tough 6-5 loss in a shootout to the Steelheads, notched a 5-4 OT win against Owen Sound, and then cruised past the Niagara Ice Dogs 11-4. Let me say that again, 11-4. Big takeaway I'd say is Brant Clark is cementing himself even more as a top-tier player, got named OHL Player of the Week. Uh, Gene, what can't the guy do? Uh, I don't know if there's not much you can do. I mean, you look at, you know, 30 games, he has just absolutely dominated. And, uh, you know, he wanted to come back to the league. He wanted to be the, the best player in the league. And it's hard to make that argument that he hasn't been, and even in only 30 games. And, again, his five-point night against Niagara, he's just kind of toying around with the ice dogs out there. I think he easily could have had more points. And he's just uh, that gifted a player. And I think the thing that really stands out about Brad to me as well is, uh, you know, just this is a guy that obviously can dominate out there, but he uses his teammates. And, uh, you know, when he sees a guy open, he's going to give him the puck, feed him for the better scoring situation. And 
I think his teammates love that about him, uh, uh, and that unselfishness. And um, you know, he's, he's cruising in on a couple of things. Already become the all-time uh, leading defensive scorer in Colts uh, franchise history. Now he's uh, moving in on another with three games left. He's two goals behind the record, the single-season record of 23 goals by a defenseman set by Aaron Eckblad and going way back, Andrew Marshall. So he's just a couple of goals off that pace, and uh, you, you can guarantee uh, that'll be something he'll be shooting for. Yeah, do you really see him as a top defenseman in the league? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when, when it comes to voting for this league, it's hard not to vote from the top defenseman. And I would even think you'd have to consider him for the most outstanding player but I think at the end of the day, it's going to hurt him that he got into just 30 games that he came back after. I think they're going to go with someone that was around for most of the season. But look, this guy is definitely in the conversation. He's been that dominant. And uh, when you watch him night in and night out, I mean, he's just uh, a dominant player offensively. Uh, you know, he moves the puck well. He carries the puck well. At times, he looks like an additional forward. I think, you know, he's wanted to work on his all-around game, and I think there's still a development process there, but it, it, it's coming, and, uh, you know, when you watch his ability, kind of, I mean, he's a guy that, uh, you know, uh, and, and there's few guys that can do this, that if you really need a goal, you've got to get him out there on the ice, and, uh, you know, he can almost make it happen individually, but like I said, he's got teammates in Cardwell and Zerling and, all these other teammates that can put the puck in that. We saw that in the uh, overtime win against uh, Owen Sound on Friday night when uh, Clark set up a, a beauty individual pass to Virley who kind of threw it over to Cardwell for the one-timer for the overtime winner. And uh, that's just how special a player he is. And then looking at the final stretch of the regular season for the club, Sudbury comes to town on Thursday, then the Colts hit the road Friday in Kingston and their final game on Saturday against the OHL's top team in Ottawa. Uh, for the Colts, is it just uh, finish the regular season healthy for the group? Yeah, I think healthy. Obviously, they want to go in on a good note. You always want to kind of, uh, you know, not have to flip the switch and, and, and turn your game. Obviously, I think North Bay, four points back in North Bay, it's pretty safe to say that with three games remaining, North Bay is going to win the Central Division title. It would take North Bay losing all three and Barry winning all three. And North Bay is too good a hockey club for that to happen. But for the Colts, obviously, the focus now becomes, like it's been for a while, uh, you got to take care of your own games. And it starts Thursday with Sudbury. And, you know, another interesting game. Sudbury tried to send a message last time the two teams met a possible first-round opponent. They went after Clark. They were trying to be physical, trying to send a message. And it'll be interesting to see... Uh, uh, what, what, what develops in that contest. And then the Colts close out the year on the road Friday night against the Kingston team that's fighting for its playoff lives that will really need that win. And then Saturday afternoon in Ottawa, the 67th have clinched first overall, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they, if they kind of start a full lineup. That's actually both teams start a full lineup. Maybe they, maybe they rest some players, but I think without... Uh, you know, you always want to be going into the playoffs on a, on a positive note. Um, you don't want to kind of be searching for your game uh, uh, heading into a, a big part of the season. Yeah, Gene, you were saying off-air that it's uh, a bit of a toss-up who might be the Colts' first-round opponent. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Five points separate four teams uh, right now. Uh, Barry's going to, uh, if they finish third, which looks uh, appears, they're going to play the sixth seed. And, Right now, that's Mississauga to the point ahead of Sudbury. 
but uh, you know, there's three games left. Hamilton uh, is two points ahead of Mississauga, but they only have two games remaining. And then you got Peterborough, that's four points ahead with three games remaining. So I think it's going to be, you know, <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> it's just gonna, I think it's going to go right down to the final day here in determining who they're going to meet. Uh, and obviously, each of these teams prevent different challenges. Uh, they've all played well at, uh, at times down the stretch. Uh, we saw Mississauga beat uh, Barry uh, last week. And then, uh, of course, Sudbury uh, always, uh, even though Barry's kind of carried that series, they've all been fairly close hockey games. And then Hamilton beat Barry pretty decisively here uh, a couple of weeks ago, the last time they were here. So they all present different challenges. But... Uh, you know, that's the fun part about this time of year, the scoreboard watching and all the different scenarios. Uh, just when you think something's going to happen, it's, uh, someone loses a game that you don't expect or wins a game. And uh, Like I said, but I think it's definitely, uh, I think if you're looking right now, Hamilton, Mississauga, or Sudbury, uh, one of those teams is going to be Barry's first-round opponent. Well, it will be really interesting to see what happens. Thanks again, Gene. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Will. What Barry's Talking About is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry has to offer and more. We've covered a lot of ground since we began in mid-July, learned how artificial intelligence is being used to keep geese from leaving their calling card on waterfront properties. We got up close and personal with Danny Wagner, drummer for Greta Van Fleet, and looked at some of the pros and cons of owning an electric vehicle. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through any podcast distributor. Still to come on what Barry's talking about, what's coming up on this year's Reels program from the Barry Film Festival, how to say yes to kids' zany requests, including their desire to blow things up. And we set up the spring season for you, including insight from Environment Canada on how they put together their predictions. Our community rocks. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling one 2 donate Our community rocks on Barrie's Rock Station. Rock 95. You like chili? There's a chili cook-off this weekend in Barrie to support the local Air Cadet Squadron, the Rock 95 morning crew, Craig, Cat, and Brian, had some special guests in to whet their appetites. We have Daniel Clements in studio, and he's here to talk about Operation Crockpot. Good morning. <laughs> yes, Operation Crockpot. Which is a chili cook-off. It is. It's a, an epic chili cook-off. So, um, as you guys know, I'm a chef. I work as a chef. One of the other hats I wear is a level officer for our local 102 Barry Air Cadet Squadron. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a fundraiser this year, our, our senior cadets really wanted to do something a little different. So I got the opportunity to play some of my other skills into <laughs> this job too. And uh, we came up with a chili cook-off. And you brought a couple of the cadets with you. I did. Okay, so, so introduce uh, them. here today is our warrant officer for the squadron, uh, Andrew Erb. So he is the, the top dog in our squadron. Yeah. And actually my son, Tyler, who is the deputy warrant for the squadron as well. So and deputy. <laughs> and and did one of these come up with the idea of the chili cook-off? One of these uh, gentlemen here? 
Gentlemen, did, did, I believe they did actually come up with a chili cook-off idea a few one of years wants ago. To say yeah, if you, if you want to, if, if you yeah, want to come in and, and say something and, and, and brag, you can do so. Uh, they're shy. Yeah, they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. Dad. That's fine. So the chili cook-off, I'm very excited about for a reason. I'm part of it. Yes. Now I'm not cooking chili, so don't no, worry. Thank anybody. God. No, <laughs> thank God. No, we're not going to have you cook. No, I am. Uh, I'm judging. You are, and oh. it's. I'm so thankful for you to come and join us, and, and we really appreciate the support. Well, you so didn't have to gonna... twist my arm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you can't go wrong with chili, right? Right. So we've actually got six local competitors that are all entering pots of chili for us. Uh, some of the names you may know and recognize from uh, downtown Barrie and, and a few of our local catering companies. So we're excited to get them. Uh, Ledbetter Meats was kind enough to jump in and help us sponsor the event and put it all together. And the Army-Navy Air Force Club was, was fantastic and allowing us to uh, come into their venue and, and help host it for us. Okay, so. you are a chef, so you're, this is your professional opinion. What makes a good chili? <sighs> That's a really good question. I know. And it's so <laughs> subjective, right? <laughs> it depends on what kind of chili you're talking about. Do you want classic chili, like a traditional? Yeah. Do you like beans or no beans is always the big argument, mm-hmm. right? What is it? What do you think, boys? Beans oh, or no beans? Beans. Beans. Yeah, beans. So, yeah, yeah, beans. <laughs> good for tuning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Magical fruit. <laughs> Um, so just to ease my mind, I'm not the only judge, right? It's not all on me. You won't be the only judge, Greg. You're not the only judge. Nobody trusts you with that responsibility. What if it's too spicy? Is that, is that an element? You know what I mean? If Craig can't handle it. I actually considered that in the planning. So, um, I actually have friends at Sheldon Creek Dairy that have jumped on board and they're helping us build a milk and cookie table. (laughs) Craig, so, you're all set, if, buddy. If, if the peppers are a little too spicy for you, we can always swing on by the milk and cookie table and, and Sheldon Creek will help you out. <laughs> Yum! <laughs> uh, how can we get tickets and take part of this? So tickets are actually going to be available at the door um, at the Army-Navy Air Force Club. Uh, because we have limited capacity in the room, we're kind of cycling people through for tasting. Uh, at the top of the hour, we kind of start a new process. Uh, but tickets are $15. You get two tastes of chili. You get a raffle ticket. We've got all of of our uh, cadets at the squadron gathering raffle prizes. They're all building raffle baskets, so they're really excited about that. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, so am I, and I uh, hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> never, never a disappointment. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to tell us about it. We suspect the Ross family will be giving Craig a wide berth around the house this weekend. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. You remember the movie Yes Day a couple of years ago where a mom and dad give in to their kids' wild requests on a whirlwind day of fun and adventure? Scouts Canada hopes parents will do the same this Friday the 24th. Surveyed kids across the country to find what they wanted to do most. They came back with things like fly an airplane, get close to a lion, and blow things up. Barry 360's MJ finding out from Scout Canada Michael Nebesny that you can say yes to that, sort of. The assumption here is that, you know, where parents can't say no to their kids. <laughs> and uh, a, rec- a recent study uh, has shown that kids like to blow things up. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, we have to take this with a grain of salt because we want our kids to be safe. But what, what is a workaround here? Of course. So the idea isn't that you shouldn't say no to kids. It's about kind of building, building activities in an age-appropriate way so that kids' ideas can really grow and be nurtured and can encourage that kind of leadership. So, for example, if kids want to blow things up, there are many age-appropriate ways that you can do this outside of just, you know, heading down to the fireworks store. This can be, you know, bottle rockets. It can be making, like, a, a, a baking soda vinegar volcano. 
it can be going and watching a fireworks show. It doesn't have to be just handing the kids the firecrackers and things. The idea we want to nurture is that when kids have an idea, there are ways to test this and there are ways to do this safely. And that's really what scares is all about. There's other things on this list, such as like um, wanting to ride a dirt bike, whereas some kids might be um, a little too young, say for something so extreme. What's a workaround for that? Uh, so for riding a dirt bike, it, this is really kind of, um, it comes down to what you want to do. So it depends on the age of the kid, of course. But, you know, the first thing every step is going to be safety. So it's looking at what do we feel comfortable doing? What can we do in our own backyard? Maybe it's learning to ride a bike first. Maybe it's going to a, um, like a dirt biking gym where we can do it inside, like on kind of a firm ground. Maybe it's getting a skateboard or something else instead that we can kind of do some tricks on and learn without really going out into the wilderness and doing something very dangerous where we're going to break limbs. Now, with this, uh, with this Kids Day for Scouts Canada, have they seen, have they gotten, I guess, more like fun ideas for parents to do with their kids? Because it's kind of stepping out of the realm usually, you know, a lot of parents like to keep things structured, but this is, this is a lot more fun. Absolutely, it is. So if you head on to scouts.ca right on the main page, we'll have all of the resources available. So we have lists of activities, how to do them, and lots of resources on how to say yes and kind of prompts. So that you can say yes despite what the cost may be or despite, you know, the safety concerns or the amount of effort or time you have available to, to nurture these ideas. So if you head on to scouts.ca, it's all going to be there right on the main page. All right. Now, is this the first uh, Yes Day that, that's been around? Yeah, it is. So we've actually put out a survey to a lot of our members, and I'm part of the national support team as well. And this is the conversation we've been having is how do we tailor our program at Scouts to what the youth want to do? So we did put out a survey to a lot of our members, um, and 55% of them said they wanted to learn to blow stuff up, like you said before. That was really our big, the big thing we wanted to do. Um, more than half wanted to do extreme indoor things like camping and paddling. Lots of them wanted to fly an airplane or a spaceship. So we want to make sure that our program is both encouraging youth to be leaders, um, taking their ideas into account and making them feel like they're the ones driving the program, and also making sure that the program is tailored to what they want to do. So this is why State of Canada is heading in this direction, is to really listen to our members to ensure that we're engaging them. For more on how to bring some of your kids' wildest dreams to life, check out the Yes Day page at scouts.ca. Real Stories returns to the Barrie Film Festival, March 23rd to March 26th, a series of thought-provoking documentary films. Butterfly in the Sky tells the story of beloved PBS children's series Reading Rainbow and the challenges its creators faced in cultivating a love of reading through television. Mission Joy explores the unlikely friendship of the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, giving a master class in how to create joy in a world that isn't easy. And there's more. Our Ian McLennan dims the lights with Barry Film Festival director Claudine Benoit. So Real Stories is coming up beginning on March 23rd. Now, we're going back to 2005 when uh, this began. What was the, what was the sort of uh, you know trigger to launch this type of festival? Oh, it was a, it was a different time for sure. I remember uh, we were moving our fall festival to February, and so we thought, well, we need, we need a, an event in October. And so that's how it started as a small uh, documentary festival at that time. But then we went, no, we like our fall festival back in the fall festival time slot. Uh, so we moved Real Stories to the spring. These films that are being presented, um, there's, a, there's an, uh, an awareness, a social conscience. Is that what, what, what you're looking for when you, when you select these films? Certainly part of it. 
but we really look for a variety of films. And at the end of the day, it's just as a film movie, you, whether it's funny or, or, or hard hitting, you know, if it affects you in some way. And how do you choose these films? Ah, okay. Well, um, myself and, and my programming committee, uh, we all love movies. So um, there's a lot of research goes into it. We, we kind of watch what's happening uh, in the in the film industry, and we watch other festivals. I also, I just search and search and search, and sometimes there's certain directors that I follow, uh, see what they're up to, kind of thing, mm-hmm. and uh, so we'll do that as well. Um, and then just watch a lot of movies. And I was uh, going to say you have you watch the movie before you select it. I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is there a specific theme each year? Or um, I, I was going through the list, and it touches on so many different, um, from the overdose crisis to um, sexual violence in India. I mean, there's a wide range of PBS children's uh, documentary. There is not a specific no. theme, no. Uh, so it's it's just cinematic discovery, truly. Um, and I also connect with other people I know at other festivals, um, like Windsor, for example. And uh, if there's a film that I've heard about and I've seen that they've shown, I'll, you know, we connect and we talk about it and then I try to get to see it. People who are familiar with the festival obviously would hope would come out. Um, how do you draw other people to, you know, you know be a part of this event? Um, you know, they, they may watch films at home like Netflix or they go to the movies. How do you draw those people in? What would you encourage them? Uh, you know what? There's nothing like the collective viewing experience. You know, um, you really do have to support seeing films on big, the big screen. Um, it has such great impact. And um, these films, you know, create conversation. And I, I, I find a lot of people like to watch them together. And, and sometimes they'll stay after the film and you can, they're all talking. Well, that was my question. Do some yeah. people stay after? Is there sometimes an open discussion? or? Well, uh, this, this festival... Um, I'm trying to get a guest for one of the films, um, but we don't have talks particularly uh, coordinated after each of the screenings. It'll depend on whether we get guests or not. And that's always interesting because people can ask somebody who's involved with the film. Uh, it adds further depth and context to the experience. Uh, give us a, I mean, we got a long list of films, but two that you know stand out for you possibly or that, you know, hmm. I know that might be a tough question, but. It is because you know what they all kind of impacted me in different ways. Like uh, a bunch of amateurs, for example, um, it's about uh, the oldest amateur filmmaking club in Britain. It's actually in the world, but they're in Britain, and it's just a film that kind of touches on your heart. You know, they're they're it's a diminishing kind of uh, group. They're they're everything's kind of the facilities kind of falling apart and it's a quirky quirky film um but you never get a chance to meet these people otherwise you know and that's the great thing about documentary is 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 you're going to learn about things you haven't heard of where are the films screened so everything's going to be screened at the five points theater one dunlop street west and uh you can go to our website berryfilmfestival.ca and everything's on there from the ticket price ticket prices are twelve dollars and uh you, all the information is there Winter came and went as advertised by Environment Canada. No lengthy periods of extreme cold. The snow came in bunches, then almost disappeared before the next bunch came. And we had some rainy moments. We're joined by David Phillips, Environment Canada's chief climatologist. David, it would seem it's going to take some time for spring to take root this year. March has really been cold. It's certainly March is always a fickle month. You know, it can be winter-like or spring-like. 
and uh, and this year it clearly is winter-like. You know, this time last year in March, we'd already had temperatures of 14 degrees, 20 degrees. I mean, the best we can do this March is five degrees, you know? So it really has, when you look out there, you see a lot of snow sitting on the ground, 31, 32 centimeters of snow sitting in the ground. And hey, I always think, you know, don't don't put away the snow shovel quite yet from, you know, from the first, from the first day of spring on, we can we can still get an average of about 24 centimeters of snow in the Barrie area, about 10% of our annual total. So we're now into to spring, and um, and we'll just have to uh, look at the crystal ball and see. Well, what am I going to say about this one? Is it a crystal ball or a dartboard? <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be a roulette wheel. It could be a paradise. Hey, it's something. Uh, we like to think it's the biggest computer in Canada, in Montreal. It turns out. But you know, I mean, even with all the bells and whistles, and it, it, Mother Nature holds the trump cards. I mean, it's really how she decides to uh, do it. And I've been in this business fifty years, Dan, and 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 so I've seen a lot of changes to the to the positive, the improvement. I mean, I I probably if I was in here twenty years ago, I'd say, well. You know, I wouldn't bet the family farm or the fishing fleet or a, a loony or two on it. I've heard you say that. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, and for certain things, I do say that still. But, you know, I think our seasonal forecasting is getting better. Um, I think because we monitor the oceans better. And, of course, what we have seen in the last month or so, we've seen the death of La Nina, this cold water in the, in the Pacific off Ecuador and Peru. My gosh. 9,000 kilometers away, but it still affects our, our kind of winters. And typically for the Ontario area, it produces the kind of winter we had, sort of a back and forth, up and down, maybe more storms, uh, snowfall. And, uh, but it tends to be, you know, uh, cold periods and warm periods. But in this case, uh, we were clearly into the southerly air, the American air, where out west, it was pretty cold. And uh, winter, uh, winter seemed to go on long. I mean, my gosh, it was there was one moment there where Victoria, Vancouver had more snow than than Barrie. You know, I mean, that's never happened before. So yeah, it is a it is supercomputers, huge models, but people still think they're they're dartboards. All right. All that said, yeah. what does that uh, big computer in Montreal say about the spring? Well, I mean, I think we're going to have to be patient. I think what we've seen in in March, for example, I look at the forecast for the next few few days and weeks particularly. I mean, the farther you look out, the more uncertainty there's going to be. When we issue the seasonal forecast, we're always more confident of that first month, a little less so in the second, and my gosh, it is really a crapshoot on that third month. But the, the season doesn't always behave in the same way from get. To, to from the beginning to the end, particularly in the spring because you, as I mentioned, in order to get kind of the feel of, of, of the warm season, you need to get rid of the cold season. And, and often that's not the case when, you, um, uh, when you're looking at seasonal forecasts. One season doesn't give you a clue as to the next season, except going from winter to spring because you have to get the melt the, the ground, you have to get rid of the ice, and you have to get rid of the snow, and then any warm airs that comes, it always does that first so you don't feel the warmth. And finally, when all that the sort of vestige of, of winter is over, well, then you finally warm up and buds start uh, appearing and, and wildlife comes back. And so it's the rebirth period. So what we're saying is that, hey, it's not going to be a rush uh, to, to spring. It's going to be kind of like maple syrup kind of uh, conditions. 
plus four in the afternoon, minus four at night. So overall, what I would say is that from a temperature point of view, uh, we're going to go sort of like March is going to be cooler than normal. And we still have a bit of time to go, another week or so to go. But I think it's not going to undo the kind of coolness at the beginning. But then all of a sudden, we're going to see some of these days that do get up into the teens. You see, that's typically what what March is like. You get a flow from the south, and you'll get some still some Arctic air. So it's a it's weather wars out there between the 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 winter, the cold Arctic, and the and the warm uh, south. And eventually, you get to the point where the south winds out. And so, what we see is、um, April being April's the cruel month. You want it to be over, but it's not. You see, you're getting those last bit of snow. My gosh, we've had been had in in the last two or three years snow in in May.、Uh, I mean, it didn't last very long, but nevertheless, it was the white stuff. It wasn't you know apple blossoms. It was the <laughs> the white stuff that you had to push. And so, my sense is that、um, that's how spring is going to be. It won't be here as quickly as we wanted. But when it comes, it'll be fits and fits and starts, and then finally we'll take off. And then, so my sense is, hey, be patient in March, early April, beginning of end of April, you begin to see、uh, more days or the frost or no freeze days. They stay so warmer than normal. And then May looks quite glorious. And hey.、Uh, I've looked at the summer forecast too, because you know Canadians often they don't care about the transition seasons. It's well, winter was this. Now, what's summer going to be like? You know, I mean, but you know, the transition seasons are important, and they 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 play back and forth between those two core seasons. And we see the summer being warmer than normal. Good chance he's right about that. He's been spot on over the past several seasons, though he wouldn't bet the farm on it. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian, Will, MJ, and the Rock ninety five Morning Crew for weighing in. To Matt Ladder for his expertise in pulling it all together, and to you for giving us a listen. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to what Barry's talking about. Rate it, review it. You can also keep up with what Barry's talking about on Facebook and Twitter at Barry three sixty, and on our website Barry three sixty dot com. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week. 